0: Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. It's time for our scripture reading. If you'd turn with me in your Bible to Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 27. I'll go ahead and read that, and you can follow along. Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 27. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you, let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Amen.
1: Good morning and happy Sabbath, you guys. I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to tell me what the first thing that comes to mind is, okay? Like a rock. What comes to mind? Like a rock. Chevy? Chevy. Chevy? Okay. All right. So, I see that 90s marketing didn't uh, pass on you, okay? So, let's go with that. Uh, In fact, it was hard to live through the 90s without hearing that terminology because Chevy... Used uh, like a rock in just about every truck commercial there through the entire decade. Think maybe I'm assuming some of you have seen television back then, but we can all remember some of them commercials, right? So, got the orange background and then the nice upper trim level silverado comes around the corner and then goes to the big mud hole and then you see some burly drywall drywaller come out of the truck, right? And then it cuts to a scene where. There's a work truck, and then there's a big payloader that drops grain in the back of it, which in real life probably would have banana the frame, but, you know, marketing. But, obviously, Chevy wanting to appeal to the idea of integrity and longevity, they used Mr. Bob Seeger's song, Like a Rock, against the backdrop of all these Chevy trucks doing amazing things pertaining to work. As gimmicky as they are, they became so legendary that there's a bit of a following for that today. In fact, uh, someone recently imposed some of the old old commercial uh, audio and monologue over a recent video of a guy who got his Chevy truck caught in a tornado. So you guys go ahead and get that up on the screen. It's pretty hilarious. i got to show this to you. All right. You guys look close. You'll see that. A little show truck doing a dance on the road. America is still the land of rugged individualists. I go rock, I, I was strong as I could be. I go around Get this, the guy doesn't just me. stop. And every he them just... Demands something different keeps on going. The truck. But they all want the same thing. The most dependable, longest lasting trucks on the road. Now, he probably stopped just long enough to dry the drink out of his lap. I think that's, I'm a Ford guy, and that's pretty impressive to me. Uh, I would think that if GM had that footage back in the day, they might have sold a few more trucks. Now, recently I heard this song, Like a Rock for the First Time in a Long Time, on the radio. And because it appealed to my youth, I listened to the lyrics and I, I listened to the message, so I I'm about to quote Bob Seeger in a sermon, you guys. Lyrics go like this. He says, My hands were steady and my eyes they were clear and bright. My walk had purpose, and my steps were quick and light. And I held firmly to what I felt was right, like a rock. And then it goes on to this like sweet steel guitar solo for a minute. But here's a part that doesn't get captured in the song. He goes on to say this. 20 years now, where do they go? 20 years, I don't know. I sit and wonder sometimes where they've gone. So, as I sat and kind of pondered the message that, you know, he was putting out there, I see that he was struggling, accepting that he is really just only a shell of his once former glory. You know, as a most of the song is just feeding back on how he was a strong young man with vision and purpose. Now, while I don't necessarily boast in my past like he does, uh, I certainly felt a connection to that idea of maybe losing a sense of self over time. Uh, Maybe even a bit of my integrity, and maybe even a sense of purpose, which a lot of that shifts over time. But for me, believe it or not, this appeal to my faith more than anything. So thank you, Bob Seeger, for doing that. Uh, you guys, I'd be lying if I didn't look back on, uh, well, fondly, on when I was a, a newer Christian, when I was much younger than I am now, because it was then that I had the most zeal. It was then that I had more intention in the, in the things I was doing because I was trying to form my identity in Christ. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And I think a lot of us have been there, at least some of us who didn't grow up in the faith or in the church. Now, this doesn't mean that because I'm a little bit more seasoned, I guess uh that I've lost my way, but honestly uh I'd kind of like to get back to that place uh you know where when I had fervor in what I was doing because you know I was keeping God's center of my life, so I want that restoration, you guys. But more than that, I want to be able to sustain the experience of intentional Christianity. Because we all, I think a lot of us are familiar with that roller coaster so many of us get on, right? We have those high points, we have those low points. Why? I don't think it needs to be this way. And I, I got to imagine that I'm not the only one who feels... Feels that way. By the way, if, if, if you've not been in that position, I, there's, there's two options. You've, you're probably doing it right, which praise God for that. Uh, otherwise, maybe you're newer to the faith and you haven't been to that point yet where you've sort of... So this message is just as much for you as it is for people who have been around the block for a minute. So today, what I want to do is I'm going to go back. I want us all to go back, and we're going to look at the life of a young man who stayed true to his faith. I don't think he gets the, nearly the screen time that he deserves, uh, but I believe his behaviors offer us sort of this outline that could give us true meaning to our faith. And so, what I'm going to do today is be hit, I'm going to be hitting the high points of Josiah's life in Second Kings chapter 22. So I invite you to follow with me. Second uh, Kings chapter 22. We're going to be looking through 22 and 23. And you should also know that uh, this is paralleled in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 34, okay? It has the same linear outline, except I believe that the chronicle account probably is more accurate in terms of timeline. However, 2 Kings is just a bit more detailed, so that's why we're going to stay there. So 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 through 2 reads as follows, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. 8 Who's close to 8 years old in here? So, can you guys imagine Evelyn Queen, right? Queen of a nation. What do you think think you could do it? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, I got it." All right. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Skipping ahead. Now, here's here's what's different about Josiah. He did that which was right in the Lord's sight, and he walked in the ways of his ancestor David, and he did not turn to the left or to the right. That's pretty interesting considering the experience of the monarchy up till that point. So, allow me to interject a little bit of context of what's going on here. Josiah, he enters the picture after the nation of Israel has long since been fractured, broken up into Judah, and, and, and now lost. Uh, and, you know, God has essentially had to turn his back because that's what sin does. It, it causes disconnection, right? Now, the reason Josiah comes in as a child king is because his father, King Amon, is assassinated, uh, which is kind of, well, by virtue of being an evil king, that kind of bad things happen to bad people. I mean, bad things happen to good people, too, but you're kind of asking for it, right? His, uh, his uh, uh, oh, what are we calling them? Uh, uh, servants, there it is. His servants conspired against him and, and, and assassinated him. Now, his father, King Manasseh, you guys remember this guy, King Manasseh? He was a he was not a good guy either. In fact, his uh, his biography account that we have in scripture is exceedingly disturbing. Uh, so he did which was evil in the sight of God. Then his son, King Amon, did which was evil in the sight of God. But that blows me away because Josiah's great grandfather was who all right he doesn't okay we got we got to talk more about josiah all right hezekiah hezekiah is josiah 's great grandfather now hezekiah was is revered for his work in returning uh, Judah back to God, purging uh, the people from idols and cleaning things up, and also reinstituted, reinstituted passover which is important to developing a relationship with God and this this people. Unfortunately, when Manasseh came to power, he essentially undid everything that his father had done for these people. In fact, he took the perversion further by setting up altars in the holy place of God to other little idols. He sacrificed his own child to a deity. So this is a kind of this is what's going on. This is how far removed Judah is from the yoke of God. So fast- forward a couple generations. Now we have Josiah entering into the picture. But let's go back to verse two here. Now I want to talk about the obvious contrast between Josiah and the rest of the monarchy. Scripture is fairly silent, how this young man, having been fathered and raised by corrupt people is now somehow a VIP for the Most High, doing what was right in the sight of God. Now, I don't have the answer here, but I figured I would ask the question, what do you guys think? How do you think that came to be? That somebody like that rolls up out of that situation? Give me some feedback. Prayer? But what made him want to, I mean, prayer from who? Pray from him maybe, or... Okay. I'll take that. Lord spoke to him? Okay. I don't disagree. I just... Anyone else got anything to add in here? Okay. I think so. I mean, I I think there's a lot present here. For me, sort of reconciling the situation, I got to believe when all this is boiled down, uh, because we know that he... He started doing good things. Uh, the, sa- the second Chronicle account tells us he was doing this restoration of uh, the house of the Lord around the age of 16. So 16, he started doing wonderful things. And so at some point in his life, he would have had to have conceded to the tuggings of the Holy Spirit in his life. The Lord was talking to him, okay? So here's my first side note this morning. I, I at least wanted to fit in. Uh, You know, looking at Josiah, you may have been born into a family of dysfunction and of sin and an addiction, whatever, fill in the blank. That doesn't mean that you have to identify as such. Should have got an amen out of that one. I'm going to repeat that. Okay, uh, so if you're born into sin, okay, and and transgression, that's what's around you. That doesn't mean that you have to be like that. (laughs) Josiah... Fell under the, the the I don't want to say the spell, but under the love of God, and this is what we have, and we're going to explore that a bit more as we move move forward. Now, if we look at verses, we're going to uh, just sort of expanding on how Josiah ended up with these credentials of you know doing good things in the sight of God. Start exploring that. So, verses three through eight, what you find is King Josiah at some point in his leadership initiated a campaign to restore the house of God because. Obviously, the house of God probably been waylaid and set in the corner, and it's probably in pretty bad disrepair. Now, during that renovation, the high priest found a, a slightly important piece of uh, uh, literature, we'll say, important to the identity of Israel. Any guess what that was? Well, what did he find? What did the high priest find in the uh, house of God that had been lost? The book of the law. Now, you might be asking, how does somebody misplace something like that? They weren't using it. Well, I don't want to give it away. Come on, man. I'm going I'm to quote something here. Patriarchs and Kings, page 392, paragraph 2. Ellen White goes on to say this Century or nearly a century before, during the first Passover celebrated by Hezekiah, provision had been made for the daily public reading. ...of the book of the law to the people by teaching priests. It was the observance of the statutes recorded by Moses, especially those given in the book of the covenant, which forms part of Deuteronomy, that, had been ma- that made the reign of Hezekiah so prosperous, but, the but shift, King Manasseh had shared, or he, he set aside these statutes. And during his reign, the temple copy of the book of the law, through careless neglect... Careless neglect had become lost. And for many years, the people generally were deprived of its instruction. <laughs> Careless neglect, you guys. So I want to I point something out here. It's, it's easy for us to marvel at how something so vital and central to the Israeli experience became lost, especially by means of neglect, as we read. But I want to ask the hard question here. Now, how many of us have intentionally, on purpose, put our Bibles away and just hit them in a corner? How many of us have intentionally done that? I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably nobody has intentionally done that. But does it happen through careless neglect? Probably. Guys, the formula is pretty simple on how that happens, right? Start to lose Jesus, lose sight of him anyway. Other shiny things, they start to distract us a little bit. And sooner or later, our collection of scripture, our prayer time, anything that really brings us into that unity that we have with God starts to creep into a dusty corner. And somewhere, eventually, it has to be found. And here, my friends, um, this is where the experience of Judah starts to look a lot like our own experience. It's not that much different. Okay? Pay attention. So if we read verses, go beyond reading verses 11 through 20, we find Josiah, after having been read the book of the law, is like, oops, okay, well, let's get this back to good. So then he talks to the high priest. We need an advocation uh, to go talk to the Lord about this. So Hilkiah talks to the high priest, Hul- or a uh, prophetess Huldah, Right? Huldah comes back with some kind of unfortunate news after having talked to God. You see, she returns word that God is still going to follow through with judgment on these people. Not because he's a loving God, but corporately, the system is broken. However, because in verse 19, uh, you read, "...because of Josiah's heart was tender and humble before the Lord." the Most High is going to spare King Josiah actually seeing the demise of his people, which happened almost immediately after he he passed away. But the amazing thing about Josiah, his love for his people and his love for God and the vision he had didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. So if you move forward into chapter 23, which I invite you to sort of read through that and look at the high points, you'll discover Josiah trying to get his people on the right track turned the ship around, if you will, spent a lot of time plucking and weeding the garbage out of the kingdom. Josiah did that in gruesome detail, to be honest. And this is why I appreciate the Second Kings uh, account of this. Because sometimes when the details are glossed over, you start to lose a little bit of, um, uh, I don't know, the scenery of just how fervent he was about trying to do <laughs> these good things. So what you see there in chapter 30 or 33, 23 sorry Josiah gathers all the leaders, gathers them and all the people around, and they broadcast the reading of the Mosaic law, right, which would forbid certain practices of idolatry, things that wouldn't have promoted growth in God, but then it would also encourage various holy convocations, which would obviously draw them closer to God. So after people hear this, they make a covenant to say, hey, all right, we're going to do this thing, all right? And they all promise to follow these statutes. Now, after the people were informed, Josiah proceeds to hunt down transgressors and and hunt down the profane paraphernalia, you guys. So King Josiah didn't just find your little false god and slip it nicely into the recycling bin, or clean it up and repurpose it as a centerpiece for his den. No, guys, he he took your little idol and he crushed it into dust, and then he would cast the remains into the river. He wasn't messing around. The little altar that you use, he would uh, oh, what's a word used here? He would defile it with unapproved human media just to be a boss. Okay. To to prove a point, and then he would proceed to kill you and the priests associated with that false system of worship. Um, yeah, Josiah, King Josiah wasn't messing around. It reminds me a lot of Joseph in Potiphar's house to some degree. I don't know if you guys remember Joseph. How he was in a situation where he could have been seduced by Potiphar's wife. What did Joseph do? He ran. He didn't just walk out lightly. He ran away. So in that same sense, I see that King Josiah is, we're getting rid of this stuff. And so I look at this, and the lesson I take away would obviously be, you know, we, we should also be looking for those things and being as serious as he was about removing these things that wedge us uh, and, and place separation between us and the Most High. So just another takeaway. You know, so many of us did that when we were new Christians, by the way. I know I did that. Um, I don't know, we start to lose steam after a while, though. We start to lose steam. Now, all these actions taken by King Josiah led to what you read in verse 21. Uh, in fact, I'd like to read that to uh, the reinstation of the Passover. The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover of your Lord gone as written in the book of the covenant. No such Passover had ever been kept from the time of the judges who judged Israel through the entire time of the kings of Israel and Judah. So everything kind of climactic came to that point where people came and and worshiped God together through Passover. So praise God for Josiah. And and praise God for people like him who have the vision and, and, and aptitude for the will of God. We need more Josiahs. And we need people like him who aren't content with just the labeling of being a holy people. You guys understand? Let me read verse 25. Read 25 of 2 Kings chapter 23. In fact, I'm going to start in verse 24. In addition, just a capstone and bookstone, of Josiah's experience. In addition, Josiah removed the mediums. So that'd be like your your, I don't know, mind readers and the people who talk to the dead, right? The spiritualist, household idols, images, and all the detestable things that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem. He did this in order to carry out the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the Lord's temple. And before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his mind and with all of his heart and with all of his strength, according to the law of Moses. And, and no one rose up like him afterwards. Somebody needs to make a commercial of Josiah. Kind of like them Chevy commercials, right? Have screenshots of him like dumping idols in the river. Maybe have Bob Seger in the background. Like a rock. But guys, I look at this and I want this kind of ambition for God. I want this. And, You know, I I also want the Lord stirring in me in such a way that I too can be found exceptional like Josiah was. I want that. Uh, And I want the rewards from being intentional about seeking God. You guys want that? I want that. So let's bring this full circle, all right? How can we become like Josiah? How do we do that in real time? So go back to verse 2 in chapter 22. I said we were going to come back here. Remember, Josiah, he did what was right in the sight of God, and he walked in the ways of his ancestor David, and he did not turn to the right or to the left. So I'd like to just take a moment to unpack these just briefly. JC, if Josiah did what was right in the sight of God, uh, do you think that was by accident? No, why not? It was intentional. You yeah, that was on purpose. And I like what uh, uh, Miss Khalil said. I, I believe that Josiah also saw the alternative for not following God. You see, I, I try to think of Judah's experience here. How empty, or I don't know, how happy do we think the people of the Judean culture were? You know, when you're when you're made for a a certain purpose, but then you're abusing yourself and serving something completely different, I can't imagine they felt very fulfilled. And Josiah would have seen that. So that would have been a bit of motivation for him. And also something else that I'd hope that you would have picked up on here was that Josiah, because he intended to please God, he only took direction from him. You see, he didn't allow the people who were evil in the sight of God uh, to, to drag him down. And so Josiah had boundaries, which is kind of a dirty word a little bit when we consider people of faith. Christians should have boundaries. Boundaries. I kind of want to go out on a tangent. I'm not going to. Boundaries. I'll save that. Another sermon. Boundaries. So moving forward, what does it mean to walk in the ways of David his father? well, Uh, The phrase, walking in the ways, we're talking about a lifestyle, you guys. Josiah didn't just do this on Sabbath, right? This was something he did consistently. Josiah, obviously, and he would have formed specific habits into rhythms of his day that would have kept him on the path of holiness, okay? Consistency. And also, by the way, the the ways of David, they're easily discerned from what we read about, well, David's writings, uh, David was devoted to the word of God. He prayed. He fasted. Regular worshiping God in the sanctuary. And because these are frequent themes of who David was and what we know about him, these would have been Josiah's ways also. All right? Pretty simple algebra on that one. Now, thirdly, uh, keeping from turning to the right or to the left. Uh, I, I don't think that he had neck problems. Although, no, never mind. Uh, Scripture reading, Proverbs 4, verse 25 through 27. goes as follows. I'm going to reread. Let your eyes look forward and fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path of your feet, and all of your ways be established. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. You guys, all through Scripture, uh, the path of righteousness is a straight one. There are no deviations. Uh, Jesus himself, right? Can we remember what he said back in Matthew seven fourteen? What did he say? Can you remember that one? Straight and narrow is the way to truth, Jesus says. So it calls us to avoid the detours off this path. Um, and you guys, you guys know this. When we, when we consider the things that will distract us from the most high, they're dead ends, aren't they? Really, in the end, we end up feeling thirsty and hungry, dead, empty. Fill in the blank. They're just that. Um, they're, they're dead ends. So, staying consistent. Uh, but really, brothers, when we look at brothers and sisters, uh, when we when we look at the three these three virtues as listed, in chapter two, or uh, verse two, it all boils down to really just one thing. On each of these marks on staying on the straight path and trying to keep a godly lifestyle and attempting to please God, Josiah would have had to have chosen God not just once or twice in his life, but every day he would have had to have decided to follow and choose God. We have to choose God. And I know that's easy to say, but it's not so easy to do. So in closing, what I want to do is this. I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to offer you a small challenge. All right? So Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven through 13. A lot of us know this by heart. So just follow along with me. By the way, this is God's message to these people long after they fell into captivity. So God never departed from them. This is his message. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you future and to give you hope. Then you will call on me, and you will pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? All of your heart. You see, guys, uh, the Lord, he's like you and I. He wants to be wanted. God wants to be wanted. So, friends, uh, here's my challenge uh, today. Pretty, Pretty simple one. When you wake up in the morning... Before your feet hit the ground. Before you reach over and grab your phone even to look at the time. And before you fill your mind with the worries of the day. Just say it out loud. Just say, God, I choose you. While you're laying there right in the bed, even if you sound weird, just do it. God, I choose you. Say that. And I promise you that if you give the Lord, that jurisdiction to start your day, you'll begin to see these little trends in your life. You'll start making decisions that will fill you up. You'll start seeing the Holy Spirit work in your life. And that might be the very thing you need just to get off that sort of roller coaster we get on, to sustain that experience we all want. That's it. Just do that. Do that for me. And by the way, I I just started doing this recently. So I'm not just telling you to do something empty. I'm doing this with you. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to close in prayer and we'll kind of kick this off just now. God, I choose you. And then I just I pray that you'll employ this. I think you'll like it. Father God, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today and to worship with fellow believers. Um, Lord, we claim your promise that your presence was here. And Lord, because of your goodness and because of your love and because you first chose us, Lord, we choose you. Lord, plant this in our mind, Father God. Work through us in such a way that we will grow closer to you and be like Josiah. Lord, help us to purge the things out of our life that separate us from you. Lord, help us to find those high places where you exist. Lord, please sustain us, lift us, and buoy us, Father God. We all ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You
0: have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.